Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. If you were with us last week, we, we saw what he saw. We saw what Peter saw. We saw what Jesus saw. We read the last verse that we read last week, our last two verses, 61 of Luke chapter 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, locked eyes, looked into his soul. And we read it was a look of compassion. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and whipped, wept bitterly. You know, not a bad thing. What do we see when we see Jesus? High and lifted up, exalted, King of kings, Lord of lords, judge, jury, <laughs> the one to whom we must give an account. I can't help but think of Peter and Jesus at that moment. When we see the ashes, he sees the beauty. When we see the cross, he sees the empty tomb. Amen? And Peter wept bitterly. You know, not a bad thing to come to the end of yourself. That's, that's the way to fight, right? On your knees, with your hands lifted up. We're going to continue now in Luke chapter 22. Pulled this chapter right out of the headlines this weekend and cut and pasted into my Bible. So it's full of indictments, impeachments, trials, plea bargains, the whole boatload. Verse 63 Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. We do understand that Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus sees. He sees through the charade. You can put a bag over his head. He knows who struck him. But he took every blow for us. You know, when you put a bag over somebody's head, they can't see from which direction they're going to be struck. You can't prepare. You can't brace yourself. You take the full impact, the whiplash and everything that goes with it. We read in the book of Isaiah some of the things they did to Jesus. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, Jesus says, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks, to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Going forward, Isaiah 52, 14, we read, Just as many were astonished or appalled at you, so his visage, his appearance, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. We go on to read in chapter 53 of Isaiah, verses 3 and on, or I'm sorry, verses 2. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness that when we see him, there is no beauty. To look upon him, any of you guys seen the passion of the Christ? I remember, and to this day, I cannot watch the movie all the way through. There's places I just have to look down. 
even if it was just the normal abominable torture and beating that man does upon man, to see a human being beat like that, it should cause us to look away. But when you think that it's the Lord, and this is what they did to him, (laughs) or the reason I look away, this is what I did to him. I can't look. He has no form or comeliness that we should see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. I turned away. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Jesus has been telling his disciples, his followers, many, 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 many times now, we must go up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be mocked and beaten and crucified. And you fill in the blank for me. Rise on the third day. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. But as we look through this, and we look through the series of indictments, impeachments, trials, plea deals, you can't help but understand that he understands. None of this catches him by surprise. In fact, In the next handful of verses, the end of chapter 22 and starting into chapter 23, we're going to see seven and possibly eight trials take place. One that wasn't recorded here in Luke where they took Jesus to Annas, the high priest, that night. That was the first stop. Then the one we just read about last week where they took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, where Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, And then we're going to see, picking up here in verse 66, they're going to go to the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish Supreme Court, their high council. There'll be those three Jewish trials, and then there'll be Roman trials. After the Sanhedrin, they're done with them, they'll take them to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome. And after that, they're going to go to Herod Antipas, who is the tetrarch in Galilee, and then they're going to take him back to Pilate again, where Pilate tries to release him. And then they're going to put him out before the court of public opinion, where the people will cry, crucify him. And by my count, that's seven trials in the next handful of hours of Jesus's life. But I can't help but back up in my mind to that trial where Jesus promised Peter you will deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. And Peter looked into his eyes. And I think at that moment, Peter's soul was on trial. I can't imagine. He probably still had the taste of the wine and the bread in his mouth. He had just been at the table with the Lord. They had just shared communion. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And as he recognized, his heart was on trial. Much as Paul had instructed us this morning in communion, the church in Corinth, let each one so examine himself that if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. Lord, search me, seek me, see if there's any wicked way with me. (laughs) Cleanse me, purify me. But now the trial's are coming, one after another after another. Verse 66, as soon as it was day, so this would be 6 a.m. in the morning, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him to, into their council, saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, this is a show trial. They've already tried him before Annas, the father-in-law of Caius. They've already tried him before Caiaphas. They've already made up their mind. They've already got a predetermined outcome. It was days earlier 
They hired Judas to betray him that they might put him to death. This is all for pretense. It's all to just make it look like they're bringing legitimate indictments. It's a show trial. If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me, nor let me go. And so, no matter how I answer, this isn't going to change the trajectory of where we're going. Now, these people believe they're holding Jesus' life in their hand, that they're his judge, when in fact, they are putting themselves on trial. Verse 69, hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you say that I am. Now, my New King James translation there in italics says, you rightly say that I am. Yeah, that's right. I'm not disagreeing with you, but that word rightly is added. Are you the Son of God? You say that I am. That's what you're putting me on trial for. Blasphemy. But I love that. You say that I am. Ego and me. In the Greek, eieser. In the Hebrew, I am. This is the name of God. Eier. Aser, aser, ayer, I am that I am, the becoming one, the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush, that we might know him personally, and we do. It's Jesus Christ standing right in front of them. Verse 71, and they said, what further testimony do we need? <laughs> For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. All he said was, you're the one that said it. This is your accusation. I, all I have had done was repeat to you what you've said to me. In Isaiah 53, I quoted earlier about the beatings. It goes on to say in verse 7, like a sheep before his shears is silent. So he spoke not a word to them. He didn't answer. He knew it was a, a phony trial. There's no point in giving an answer. You're not Whatever you say can and will be used against you in a mock court. <laughs> in this phony trial. It's kind of interesting. I love what John writes in his opening in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it can't wrap its head around this light this life this jesus who is standing right in front of them the darkness can't comprehend it doesn't get it and not only are we seeing jesus on trial this morning in the gospel of luke chapter 22 and 23 all we have to do is pull our cell phone out or flip on a television or listen to the radio and you'll see Jesus on trial today. Everywhere you turn. Mocking, ridiculing, canceling, trying to do whatever's possible to make him go away. <laughs> but the light shines in the darkness. <laughs> the darkness cannot comprehend it, cannot apprehend it, cannot understand it. They're of their father, the devil, of the darkness. Chapter 23, moving on. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation. And forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is a Christ, the Christ, a king. 
So they bring these charges, basically three false charges to Pilate, okay? So now they've left the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and they've moved over to the Praetorium. The Praetorium is the place where when Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem, he usually lived at Caesarea Philippi down on the Mediterranean, beautiful coastal you know, community and everything. But at times like this, a Passover, when the town is full of people, we don't, don't want to let anything uprising or rebellion break out. He would come and set up his praetorium, his, his government there, his place of government. And they brought these three charges against Jesus. If you look at this, um, we found this for fellow perverting the nation. They're accusing him of sedition and forbidding to pay taxes, tax evasion, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king, a rival king, that he's the true king. Does this sound anything like a newspaper you've read lately? It just doesn't change. It's interesting, they have to bring Jesus to Pilate. They've already made up their minds. They decided a long time ago they want to get rid of him, but it's the Passover, and they didn't want to start an uprising or, or martyr him and have everybody come in revolt against him. So they convene their daytime meeting at the Sanhedrin, because their nighttime meetings were illegal, according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, all criminal trials must begin and end in the daylight. This second trial was necessary because they knew the first one, or I would say the third trial, because the first two, the real trials, had no legal standing. How many trials have already been determined before they even pick the attorney general that's going to prosecute the case? According to Jewish law, only decisions made in the official meeting place were valid. The first trial was held at Anna's home, the second at Caiaphas, the high priest. So they called together this trial held at their official council. According to Jewish law, criminal cases could not be tried during the Passover season. According to Jewish law, only an acquittal could be issued on the day of a trial. Guilty verdicts had to wait one night to allow for feelings of mercy to rise. According to Jewish law, all evidence had to be guaranteed by two witnesses who were separately examined and could not have contact with each other. According to Jewish law, false witness was punishable by death. Nothing is done to the many false witnesses in Jesus' trial. According to Jewish law, trial always began by bringing forth the evidence for the innocence of the accused before the evidence of guilt was offered. That wasn't what happened here. And this whole process, as you look at Jewish law, as it's recorded through the Scriptures, the whole procedure was designed for mercy. And even from Luke's summary account, it's clear that the Sanhedrin, when it tried Jesus, was far from keeping its own rules and regulations. So they brought him to Pilate. We have no legal ground. We have no standing. We can't um, bring about capital punishment. We're not allowed to kill him. You've got to do that. The government has to kill him for us. The whole multitude of them rose and led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found him guilty of perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes, and saying, He himself is Christ a king. Verse 3, Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It is as you say. Now, keep in mind here, they had just said that he's the son of God, and they said, blasphemy, it's enough. We don't hit, need to hear anything else. That's blasphemy. He's guilty of death. But the Romans really don't care about blasphemy. They don't really care about the Jewish religion. 
They really look down upon it. They despise it. They really aren't interested in Jewish, or could I say Judeo-Christian values and morality. Not what they're interested in. The government plays the game of being Im, not immoral, amoral, <laughs> although they're often immoral. They don't care about blasphemy, and Pilate knew that they handed over Jesus because of envy. He knew what was going on. He saw the writing on the wall. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Innocent, not guilty. But they were the more fierce saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. John's gospel in chapter 18 gives a little bit more insight into this conversation that happened with Pilate and Jesus. But in John's gospel, verse, chapter 18, beginning at verse 31, we read, Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. So Jesus already knew this was the way it's going to be. Only the Roman government can put me on a cross. Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? What do I know about that stuff? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? <laughs> Jesus answered, You say that I am. There we go. Same thing he said to the others. Out of your own words, out of your own mouth, you say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault at all. But they were more the fierce, fierce, saying he stirs up trouble in Galilee and all the way up here. Verse 6 of chapter 23, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Herod, this is Herod Antipas, one of the kings that ruled over the province of uh, Judea and uh, Galilee. Now, he was appointed by Rome. He wasn't Jewish, but he was the king. This is Herod Antipas. We might know Herod Antipas better if we read earlier in Luke's gospel or the other accounts. He's the one who took his brother's wife and stole her and married her. Her name was Herodias. John the Baptist, the prophet, spoke out against this. This is adultery. This is wrong. For that reason, Herod had John put in prison. And then the day came, it was Herod's birthday, and they were having a drunken feast, and Herodias, Herod's wife, said, you know, this is my chance to get even. She sent her daughter in to dance seductively before the crowd. It so aroused Herod that he said, I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. And the daughter asked Herodias, what should I ask for? And she said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. This is Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee. That was his region of authority. So Pilate says, good, I've got a way to clean my hands of this. I don't have to have anything to do with it. I'll just send you down to Herod and let him decide what's going to happen. What kind of a trial do you think he's going to get? Do you think this is a fair and impartial judge? Do you think this is a good district to have your trial in? Verse 8, 
or um, verse 7. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent to Herod and was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, and he desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Luke has already recorded back in chapter 13, um, in verse 31, on the very same day the Pharisees came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Get out and depart from him, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, answered to the Pharisees, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. Go tell that fox. Yeah, I'm who you thought I was. Herod's been waiting for the longest time. He wants to see some fireworks, some magic, some miracles. He wants to talk to Jesus. Verse 9, then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. I've waited this whole time. I've got a whole list of questions, and I don't get any answers out of you. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, his troops, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Does that sound like politics to you? Whatever we need to do for political expediency, whatever we need to do, what have, what have we had? I've heard this said before, or you've probably heard it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. As we make alliances and treaties, and, and these guys hate each other's guts, but they hate Jesus more. And so they'll form an alliance just to get rid of Jesus. Verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. Okay, this is, this is what you're saying. This guy's a bad guy. You brought him to me. I said I find no fault in the man. You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence. I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse. Verse 15, no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. How about if I just beat him really good for you? Would that satisfy you? And all they wanted was blood. Crucify him, crucify him, they cried out. Pilate did have him beaten, lashed. Already, he's almost unrecognizable as a man. And then he brings him out in front, we read in the other Gospels, where everybody can see him, puts him on stage, and he says, um, echo, or eke homo, eke homo. Behold, the man. He's just a man. He's not a king. He's not a son of God. Look at this guy. He's hamburger. It, wouldn't that make you happy enough? What do you have to do? What is it that you really want? When are you going to quit this crazy, insane Jesus derangement syndrome? I will therefore chastise him and release him. In Matthew 27... We read at verse 19, it was at this time. Um, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And so Pilate's like, now I've, I cross-examined him, I don't see anything wrong, and now my wife, she's sending me a note, don't mess with him wonder which one carries more weight. <laughs> Why you laugh? 
Sadly, neither one is going to move him. I will chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. Now, this is a tradition. It wasn't necessary or required by law. But in order to appease the rabble, the, the commoners, the Jews, every year at Passover, to try to make nice with the Jews, the Roman government would offer to them to release a prisoner. More often than not, they would choose a political prisoner, somebody who was standing up for Israel and would get arrested and put in jail by the Romans because they were trying to keep this political uprising down. And so, this is the tradition. Here Luke says, it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. If he would do that, maybe we'll just, we'll throw you a bone, see if that doesn't please you. The Jews hated Pilate. We read in Luke chapter 13, I mentioned it earlier, uh, in chapter 13, where the wife um, comes to him and says, don't have anything to do with him. Or, I'm sorry, that was Matthew 27. But um, Pilate, when he came into power, marched into Jerusalem, bearing the Roman standards with the eagle on it, and marched right into the temple and set up the standards right there. These are like uh, idols, right? Graven image. And he did these things. He would charge them money for all these projects that he wanted to do, spilling the blood of the Jews. And they really, really hated this oppressive Pilate. And he's trying to do whatever he can to weasel out of the situation. So at verse 17, after he says, I'll chastise him and give you somebody, verse 18, it says, they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. The son, Barabbas means the son of Abba or the son of the father. We don't, we want, we want blood. We want this guy. You give us, you give us the father's son. Those of you that are reading the headlines today might see something in that too. Verse 19. Release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. He was a terrorist. He's accused of insurrection. He's accused of murder, and they want him, the terrorist, the insurrectionist, the legitimate murderer rather than Jesus Christ. This is how crazy the mentality of people can be when they don't know the truth, when they don't know the facts, when they can't find out what's really going on. They're just reacting to what's being told them, what's being fed to them. It's not too much different than the world today. You want to know what's going on in the world today? Good luck turning on your TV or opening up a newspaper. You're not going to find it in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the legacy media. The things that are going on in the world today are not being reported. You can ask a lot of your friends about, say, some of the stuff, the trials that are going on, right? And there's a number of trials, right? There's the Biden trial. There's the Trump trial. There's all these different things. Ask them what's going on and find out what they know. And you'll find out they know almost nothing. If you don't dig, you're not going to know the truth. You're going to have to get uh, informed, educate yourself. But that's what the people are. They would rather take this terrorist. Verse 20, Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted again, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. This is how insane they've got this mob stirred up. Crucify him. Verse 22, then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. I'm going to give him the 40 lashes, and then I'm going to let him go. Verse 23, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. 
So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Interesting. This is what Pilate did. He, he gave Jesus over to their will. And yet, we've just read a couple hours earlier, Jesus would pray, Thy will be done. And while these men, pompous, tyrants, full of themselves and their power, think that they're holding on to the handles of history, they think they're driving the ship. And he gives it over to their will. But at the end of the day, we know, always has been, always will be, thy will be done. Jesus had already spoken to his disciples many, many, many times about what was going to happen. Don't be so surprised when you see these things come to pass. But look up. Your gentleman draws nigh, right? He says that speaking of the last days, the days that we're living in. He says that. He had said to them in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, I'll pick up at verse 14, I am the good shepherd and my sheep, and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Not they, not them, not the mob, not the government. I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Talking about trials and, you know, how important it is to have witnesses and to have evidence and, and to know the truth as you're trying to figure out what's going on. And I mentioned Jesus not just on trial here this morning as we're reading out of the Gospel of Luke, but Jesus on trial here this morning as we sit here amongst our neighbors in this world that Jesus is on trial. There's a wonderful book. It's, it's a little bit dated, and there's other ones that are great, but I would highly recommend looking into Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you're a serious question, Christian and you want to understand, is Jesus really who he says he is? How can I know the truth? I need to find out evidence that demands a verdict. And Josh McDowell lays out point after point after point after point that proves Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And in fact, there's a point in the book, I think it's a chapter, where he goes through a fundamental premise. According to all the claims that Jesus made to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, of the universe. There's only three verdicts that any of us can come up with. Either he was a liar, he was a deceiver, he made it all up, he pretended to be God, pretended to be the king, pretended to die and come back to life. You're laughing because that's uh, uh, it's absurd, right? Or option number two, that he was a lunatic. Not that he believed it and he was trying to deceive you, but he deceived himself. That he was just insane. That he wasn't right in his head. He's a lunatic. And yet, could a lunatic do the things he did? And say the things he said? And live a pure and perfect life? Again, 
He can't, he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic. That leaves one more choice. And the choice is he is Lord. He is who he says he is. And we all sit here today. The world sits here today. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Sanhedrin, the crowds, they were all there 2,000 years ago, but the story is still the same. The issues are still the same. The person of Jesus Christ is still the same, and you have to come up with a verdict. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he your Lord? And if he is your Lord, then... Believe him, trust him, follow him, and allow you to do that work in you that he died to do for you. We've got a two-tiered system of justice in this world. We're seeing the weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ. It's kind of tricky. <laughs> there we go. Maybe on video they can make that look a little better. Those of you that have been around a while, I guess you're, okay, here he goes again. <laughs> I put this on in remembrance of the preachers of yesteryear. 250 years ago in North America, in the 13 colonies, there were preachers that would get in the pulpit and they would discuss issues that bared upon Jesus Christ and who he is. And we have been given his word that covers everything under the sun. And I would challenge every single one of you to answer this question in your heart. What part of your life, what part of this world, what part of the universe is Jesus not? Lord of. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And as much as we read about these false indictments and insane trials and all these different things that they, they come forward with, we have to recognize that Jesus is still on trial today and we have to decide where we stand. You can't wash your hands of it. couple things out of the headlines this week. This happened last Sunday at our state capitol. Idaho newspaper, the Idaho statesman, called this worship gathering in Boise dangerous. Maybe you're familiar with Christian singer and conservative activist, activist Sean Foyk. He led worship services in front of the state capitol, and he's been doing so since 2020, encouraging Christians to pray and mobilize in their states and stand up for their beliefs. This happened last Sunday at our state capitol. He came back again. Thousands of people were there. Now, ahead of his scheduled stop in Boise, Idaho, for the Kingdom to Capital um, uh, concert series last Sunday, the Idaho statesman, that's the big newspaper in our state. The Idaho Statesman's editorial board wrote an article attacking Foyk and his allies as dangerous activists and charlatans. You know, they're saying, he said, Foyk and his followers. That's what the Idaho Statesman thinks of you. You're dangerous. Amen who want to inject their brand of Christianity into government. This is a quote out of their article. Foyk and his group are playing on the same tired, worn-out, BS, far-right fears that evildoers on the left 
are coming for your children through the schools, through the libraries, at pride festivals and drag shows, the opinion piece read. Now, while conceding that his hate speech was protected under the First Amendment, the editorial board warned that it was still dangerous. They said, and I quote, the danger comes when these groups impose their religious views on others and inject church into the state through the power of government, as we've seen already in Idaho, through the most restrictive abortion ban in the country, amen, attempts to put a bounty on libraries and bans on gender-affirming care for transgender youth. No one is telling these groups to abandon their religious beliefs. We're just telling them to keep their religion in their church and out of government. The piece concluded, end quote. <laughs> wow, you guys are fun. <laughs> in response, Hoyt said, I don't begrudge the statesmen for what they wrote. They are well within their constitutional right. We both exercised our rights under the same amendment. What they wrote is not so much a critique of the let us worship movement as it, is, as it was a shameless plug for the LGBTQ agenda. To stand on the Bible is dangerous in the year 2023, especially when that truth conflicts with the LGBTQ agenda, he wrote. Also this week in the news, uh, Christian protesters in Wisconsin were arrested for reading the Bible out on the sidewalk in front of a drag queen performance that was going on in front of children. When they were arrested, it's not that they were reading Romans chapter 1 and all this terrible stuff that's going to happen to wicked people. They were reading out of the book of Galatians on love. Nevertheless, that offended people and they arrested him. This week, after passing the law in June, in Louisiana, the law goes into effect that all schools in Louisiana will post in God we trust in every classroom. You might have heard about this one in Alabama. There was a library, Kirk Cameron and the Brave Books Group going around America to 400 different libraries in America doing book readings, reading good wholesome books with Christian values in it. They had scheduled to have an event at the library um, called the See You at the Library event. The Huntsville-Madison County Public Library System in Huntsville, Alabama had said in a release on Wednesday afternoon that it would no longer accommodate the book reading event due to concerns about logistics and security as popularity for the event grew. And yeah, a lot of people wanted to come out and see it. A law firm, First Liberty, this is headed by Matt Staver. He's one of the people that looks out for us here at the Springs Calvary Chapel, sent a letter to the library system. And the library agreed, after all, to host Kurt Cameron and the Brave Books and also Riley Gaines. You might know her, the women's sports advocate who's standing out, standing up for people. Amen. So it happened. They had the event, and it's still going around America. Something rather interesting. In Meridian, a group of people have started putting out a banned book vending machine, and you can find them now in Meridian and Caldwell, and they're setting these things up where you can buy the books that are being banned for public schools. Now, um, some of the books are, are just gross. Other ones are like Animal Farm, which is really a picture of what's happening to our society today. But nevertheless, because they don't want these kids falling into people's hands, they're putting them in vending machines where you have to buy money to, to get them. But that's actually happening around here. I bring that up because we have an event coming up in September, a gal by the name of Karen Jensen on September 10th. It'll be right after church down the hallway from 12 to 1 o'clock. Uh, she'll be presenting at the Salt and Light meeting that we have, a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation uh, about books in the Magic Valley libraries. Are they safe for kids? Think again. This is going on 
in K through 12, explicit sex ed, LGBT sex ed, transgender fluidity, suicide, self-harm, rich craft, critical theory. We're going to bring her in and we're going to tell you what's going on in our community. A church in Massachusetts just this week has won the right to open a private Christian school after facing discrimination from local officials. What, is, what do all these things I'm telling you have in common? Jesus Christ, his words, his truth, his light, his life. A church in Massachusetts won the right to open a private Christian school after facing discrimination from local officials. It comes after a school committee member had allegedly influenced other members of the Greenfield, Massachusetts Public School Committee to reject Providence Moldovian Baptist Church's application for a private Christian school in their district. Again, Liberty Council came to their aid. This is what happened. One of the committee members named Elizabeth Ann Denevis Accuse, accusations against the church's school were false and the committee had violated the First Amendment and state law by discriminating against the school based on its religious viewpoint. Nevi expressed some anti-religious views. The committee failed to, after she did that, the committee failed to approve the church's application on the basis of its religious beliefs. This is what she said to the committee to get them to not approve the Christian school. Quote, I am calling for action because this private school is using a controversial creationist cur curriculum called ABECA, which is associated with nationally funded right-wing Christian groups and teaches students a very different view of the world from what's taught in the rest of Greenfield's public and private schools, she wrote. Matt Staver of the Liberty Council informed the committee of the fact that in the state of Massachusetts, at least 30 private Christian schools have been approved to use and are already using the Abeka curriculum. At least 7,600 schools throughout the United States and more around the world are also using Abeka. In addition to private Christian schools, thousands of homeschooling parents use Abeka for their children's ed education, including many who are approved to do, approved to do so in Greenfield, and so they got the school approved. This coming August 17th and 18th, we're having a, a Beck, or not a Becca, a Veritas Christian curriculum swap, and you can get a Becca curriculum for your children here at the church, and you can do what God has called you to do. Also, don't forget the family meeting coming up August 7th. And also another thing in terms of children's ministry, um, we're looking for somebody new to step into our role as a representative, a board rep for the Minidoka Christian Education and also for uh, Kasha Christian Education. It doesn't require a whole lot of your time, but we would like to see a volunteer step forward. Um, Guy and Rhonda Pruitt have been doing it faithfully for like, well, fundamentally, since you were in high school. And, it's, and, <laughs> and we're looking for somebody to step into that. It's the meeting meets once every other month. That's six times a year. You go to a meeting, you find out what's happening with Christian ed on our public school campuses. Kids that don't even go to Christian ed, but are having all kinds of crises at home, having suicidal thoughts, or being subject to all kinds of abuse are able to not go to their teachers at the class, but cross the campus and talk to Christian Ed and say, what do I do? And a lot of kids are coming to know Christ and witnessing Christ and ministering Christ. And we can be part of all of these solutions. And finally, while it's way out in front of us, we're going to be having Dan Fisher come and do a presentation of the Black Robe Regiment. This will be coming up August 14th and 15th and on saturday night he'll be up on the stage and he'll be bringing the full black robe regiment presentation I, I tell you now get it on your calendar you're not going to want to miss this we are telling everybody across southern idaho even up in the treasure valley about this the next closest one is up in northern idaho you'd have to drive 10 12 hours to catch it so it's something that we as a church felt was important enough to bring it to our community 
so we could get a little bit more backbone and a couple more pulpits across Idaho. Amen? And I just would encourage you, October, what did I say? Oh, October. Again, I, I'm, I'm pumping that one out a little bit too early, I realize, but I just want you to understand, this is who we are. Jesus is my Lord. He's Lord of my whole life. He's Lord of this church. He's Lord of everything that goes on in this church and every issue that's part of your life. He lived and died and rose again to bring you life. And so I just would encourage you in all of that. I've gone way over on time. You're going to have to do some crazy editing, guys, to get us out of this thing. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do thank you that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And nobody comes to you but by Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would look on us and, and, and examine our hearts and see if there's anything that's not lined up with your will. I know that you love us and you give us your word to guide us into everlasting life. But we fight against the flesh and we live in a dark world that is deluded and deceitful and we need to see the way. Help us, Lord. Walk before us. Guide us. Take us by the hand. Pick us up if we've fallen. Dust us off. Help us to keep moving towards you that not only will we cross the finish line but that we can bring our loved ones our friends and our families with us so we ask right now by the power of your holy spirit to just fall on us fill us and overflow us that we might be representatives of you in this dark world that when they would see us they would see the light and the darkness cannot hold us down, cannot stop us. Again, I thank you for everybody in this room. What a blessing it is to fellowship here amongst other believers locked arm in arm, going out into the world and just spreading the love, spreading the light, the joy, the hope, and the peace. Go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Got a little bit of worship? To finish up, and if you'd like to come up for prayer, love to pray with you. Broken, in agony, and in prayer over you. What do you see when you see your Lord? Take those stupid things you do and touch and heal and fix those stupid things you do. What do you see? When you're following Jesus, but at a distance, what do you see when you're huddled around that glow and these voices that are accusing you and attacking you and challenging you? What do you see when you look at Jesus? It says at that moment, their eyes locked. And that word for looked at translates to a look of compassion, a look of love, a look that says, Peter, I know. I love you. I'm going to the cross for you. I understand what sin has done to you, to this whole world. You don't need to be ashamed. Just look unto me, the author and the finisher of your faith. For the joy set before us despise the shame. But there's a throne. It's on the other side of this cross. Don't let go. Just keep going with me. That's what God is saying to every one of us. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, 
And now he had said to them, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I can imagine. That's, that's a good place to be when you see not only your sin face to face, but you see your Savior who is about to die for you and your sin. You look into his eyes and you realize, I'm the cause of that. I'm so sorry, Lord. And he wept bitterly. What do you see when you look at Jesus? What does Jesus see when he looks at you? It's really interesting. God has given us telescopes, right, through the wonders of science and the wisdom that he's given to man. We've been able to come up with so many breakthroughs, technology, and, and, the, and the, the, the things that we're able to do. And I don't know, this new telescope that's up there is bringing in images that like everybody's just gobsmacked. What is that all about? This is great. And with a telescope, you can see the heavenly host. With a microscope, you can see the heart of an atom. And yet God has given us something even more powerful than a telescope or a microscope. He's given us a tear. Because it's with a tear that you can see the heart of God. We'll wrap up with this verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm reading at verse 9. This is Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth. He had to write some pretty hard things to them. Words of rebuke and correction. He had to bring some of their sins out front for the whole world to see. We got it right here. It's on your lap. The sins of Corinth. You can see them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, Paul writes, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And Judas went and hung himself. 2 Corinthians 7, 11, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Do you know how much God cares for you? He's looking into your soul right now. He's looking into mine. How can we read this and not understand that the word of God, it's alive, it's powerful, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides to the piercing of the bone and the marrow, to the soul and the spirit, and everything is naked and open to those to whom we must give account. And as God's word peers into our soul, sometimes it sees sin. And yet, it produces godly sorrow. And Peter wept bitterly. And Peter will be restored. Amen? Jesus cried. Peter cried. Judas lied. Here we have the opportunity to cry out to God. <laughs> have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus will say, that one went away justified. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for what you have done for us, what you did 
in that garden, what you did at the table, what you did on the cross. Help us to understand your heart, to see clearly, to be broken, and to weep over our sinfulness, that in it we can see your holiness, your justice, your righteousness, your love. Help us, Lord, to walk in that love, in that hope, in that joy, and to be ambassadors of that good news that you became sin for us, that we might be your righteousness. Again, we thank you, and we pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would complete that work which you began in us until the day we look into your eyes face to face. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.